You're listening to the Unmute Podcast with Maisha Cherry. Welcome to the place where philosophy and real world issues collide. Hello, and welcome to the Unmute Podcast. This is the place where I have the opportunity to talk to young, diverse philosophers about the social and political issues of our day. Today, I chat with Vanessa Wills. Vanessa is a political philosopher, ethicist, educator, and activist. Her areas of specialization are moral, social, and political philosophy, and the philosophy of race. Her dissertation was entitled Marx and Morality. She is currently an assistant professor of philosophy at St. Joseph University. Today we talk about Marxism and its misconceptions. If you've ever been afraid of the word socialism, wondered how we could ever live without capitalism, or just wondered what social justice movements can learn from Marxism, you want to stay tuned. Hello, Vanessa, and welcome to the Unmute Podcast. How are you? I'm I'm well, and uh, thank you for having me on your show. I'm excited about our conversation, and uh, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Tell me, how did you get interested in philosophy? Well, I know the first time that I uh, encountered the work of an academic philosopher, and that was Wittgenstein. I was at a nerd camp, essentially, um, <laughs> when I was... 16. It was the summer after my uh, junior year in high school. And, uh, and I remember reading the philosophical investigations. And um, I, of course, I couldn't quite, you know, I was 16. It was my first encounter with philosophy. Um, but I was really uh, intrigued by it. And it seemed uh, deep and profound somehow. And I think that uh, in addition to that, I, I was someone who was very interested in language. And I wrote poetry uh, through most of my young life. And so I think also the sort of form of that appealed to me as well. Um, and then I got to college uh, a few years later, and uh, there was a class being offered by Jeffrey Stout in the Department of Religion uh, called Dewey, Heidegger, and Wittgenstein. And so that struck my fancy, and pretty much after that point, I was well on my trajectory towards becoming a philosopher. Now, usually when people think of Wittgenstein, they think of language. What led you into a different direction? Well, even when I first became interested in Wittgenstein and and language, um, I mean, part of what's going on there are these questions about how can different uh, linguistic communities understand each other and how do the ways that we describe our conditions or our realities uh, sort of form the realities themselves and with that being the case what possibilities are there for interaction and uh and and mutual understanding among different communities and so i think that that uh it was the question that especially by the time i was in college really began to animate uh my philosophical interest in wittgenstein and so for me, I think that there is a definite continuity then with becoming interested in the problems of social and political philosophy. I 
I am so excited to talk to you, right? Because I think I think I'm going to learn a lot. I have a lot of socialist friends. I know the FBI is listening. I have a lot of socialist uh-huh. friends, a lot of Marxist friends, a lot of left, you know, friends who are who are left activists, right? But I don't know anyone who is just truly 100% a Marx scholar, right? So so I'm really going to try to you know, pick your brain today. <laughs> so it's, it's a two-part question. Who was Karl Marx and what is Marxism? So I, I knew you were going to ask me this question and I, um, it's actually a much harder question <laughs> than it sounds like. So I'm just going to sort of say some things that I take to be true. Um, but uh, so Karl Marx, of course, was a, a German theorist and uh, economist, um, political scientist, philosopher, and, and activist. And he was uh, very much influenced by the work of, of Hegel and uh, the traditions of German idealism. And uh, he's I suppose, most uh, important intellectually uh, for his formulation of historical materialist method, um, or this sometimes called dialectical materialism. And that dovetails into the second question of what is Marxism? And there's, yeah, there's different sorts of answers that I could give, but focusing methodologically, I would say that, that Marxism as applied to the study of, of, of humans, um, of social development, uh, is, is a method that proceeds from looking at the, the way in which human beings um, produce their own conditions of existence and examining the, the way that uh, the economy functions, the way that people literally produce the food they need or um, acquire the goods that they need and, and, and so on. Um, there's a, and more specifically, if we're talking about class societies, right, then class societies are organized in such a way that the society produces the things that it needs um, by organizing uh, relations of production and relations of ownership um, into uh, sort of a, a, um, what's a good way to put it, Uh, sort of distributing this work across different classes, economic classes. And so um, there the theory is that if you can understand the relations of power among these classes, if you can understand the um, conflicts of interest between these different classes, then uh, that is going to provide a basis for understanding all sorts of other things about the society, like um, the ideas of the society, um, the reason that the society develops in the way that it does rather than some other way, and um, ideally how to change the society for the better in order to better meet uh, the needs of human beings. What are some of the, the misconceptions about Marxist thought? Well, I, one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm working on a project right now, and I sort of formulated for myself, I think that often people think that because Marxism as applied to class societies is a is a class-based analysis of those societies there's a tendency to confuse a class-based analysis with a class only analysis okay. 
as though um, Marxism has no resources to account for the ways in which uh, gender or race or nationality, as though Marxism has no resources to describe these other forms of identity um, or axes of oppression uh, because, well, you know, don't, don't those folks just care about class? And, um, and I think that's a, that's a fundamental confusion um, about what Marxism uh, aims to do. Uh, I think another um, con- misconception about Marxism has to do with the role of determinism and the, the nature of the materialism that's at the, the base of, of Marxist theory. I mentioned earlier uh, this concept of dialectical materialism, and it's dialectical because Marxism is uh, seeking to understand explain an interaction between matter and ideas. And there's a tendency to think that, um, to sort of conflate Marxism with what Uh, I and others call a sort of simple or vulgar economism, that the relation of causation or influence just goes upwards from an economic base to uh, a superstructure of of ideology. And that's not that just would not be a Marxist analysis. Um, We have to understand how the superstructure of ideology, um, of politics, um, of, you know, you name it, then reacts back onto that base um, and in turn influences the economic conditions. So I, I think that, yeah, the sort of tendency to, I mean, both of those are a kind of tendency to oversimplify Marxism. And often I find that uh, critiques of Marxism uh, are actually uh, directed against these very oversimplified versions and, um, and, and therefore sort of miss the mark, I think. Why has Marxism, and you kind of alluded to this you know, in your previous response, but why has Marxism been so attracted to oppressed people? And particularly, you know, I, I noticed it has also been very attractive to the black radical tradition. So it's kind of like yeah. a two-part question. I think it's been, I, well, I think there's, I guess, a number of reasons. Um, I mean, one of these is that Marxism uh, holds out a vision of a, a, a different type of society, you know. And so that, I think, I mean, that sounds simple and maybe sort of obvious, but I think the fact that Marxism says that a different world is possible, mm-hmm. uh, and if you're oppressed, then maybe that sounds like a really comforting message, yeah. right? Uh, and and not just comforting, but a, but a call to action, an inspiring message. I think that Marxism has been appealing uh, because people can see in their own lives how often being oppressed on based on race or or gender or nationality these are um, often oppressions that are organized and uh, produced by the bosses, you know, by mm-hmm. the sort of um, by by those who are in power and in uh, capitalist societies, um, that is sort of capitalist ruling class, um, and so there's, I think, um, an appeal of 
seeing the ways in which the explanation of these different forms of oppression actually matches on pretty directly to, you know, who's passing the laws, who's uh, sort of controlling employment. I mean, this is all very vague, but um, but just by, by means of a sort of, you know, making this as brief as I, <laughs> a sort of general answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I, I think that it's also been appealing because it suggests that the struggle of of different uh, groups is has a kind of common basis and that different oppressed people around the world can work together and have something in common to struggle for and so it provides a kind of theoretical and practical framework for uh, a more sort of universal struggle to achieve things like a genuine freedom or a genuine control over our lives. I, w- I want to talk about capitalism for for a little bit. And I know you said that you don't want to minimize Marxism to capitalism. But, you know, when you think about Marxist thought, you think about capitalism. So I, I want to ask, what is so bad about capitalism? Oh, that's a great question. When I teach, uh, I teach a course uh, sometimes called Philosophy of Karl Marx. And the first thing that we do is we very carefully read the Communist Manifesto. Mm -hmm. And the Communist Manifesto, of course, begins with all of these, uh, well, not begins, but at the beginning, you know, near the beginning of it, there's sort of this lots of really nice things about capitalism. Right. Marx describes all of the ways in which capitalism has been revolutionary, um, the ways in which capitalism has um, allowed for an explosion in uh, humanity's ability to uh, satisfy its current needs, develop new ones, develop new modes of interacting with the world, um, the way that it uh, connects people all around the world with one another uh, creates common interests and, and, you know, and and has overthrown feudalism. Like that's a biggie, (laughs) you know, that's a victory for humanity. And so it's interesting. um, I mean, this could also be one of the misconceptions about Marxism, um, the idea that Marxism or that Marx uh, just sort of hasn't noticed the, the incredible positive uh, role that capitalism has played in the development of uh, humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, the way that Marx formulates his critique of capitalism is not that capitalism is is, is all bad, um, which is also sort of a historical way of, of thinking about capitalism. Uh, Marx uh, suggests that, argues, uh, that capitalism at a certain point in history was exactly what was necessary, right? Was this good force, has been, um, but that we are now at a time when, I mean, one way to put it would be that perhaps it's outlived its usefulness, right? That it's, that at one point it was the best way to organize uh, production and that now it no longer is right and so that certain uh, contradictions produced like by capitalism uh, like the fact that there's this incredible wealth produced and yet 
uh, a larger and larger uh, proportion of humanity falls deeper and deeper, right? Into you know we have these incredible inequalities of income, of wealth, um, housing explosions, and uh, sorry, housing booms. I mean, and um, and yet rampant homelessness, right? I mean, so the idea is that that doesn't have to be the case, that there's a way to resolve some of those uh, those contradictions, and that the way to do that is to abolish, abolish class society. And by that, I mean, we have a, a system where uh, the decisions are made, uh, by, by and large, by a narrow band of folks at the top. Uh, and the thought is that that is no longer necessary and no longer the best way to organize things, that we can um, democratize or, or socialize, right, control over production, decisions about what gets made and where it goes. And so, uh, yeah, I think the question, you know, what is so bad about capitalism, in answering it, you know, it's a, it's a question that we actually have to critique because the whole, the whole issue is thinking, is having a kind of historicized critique of capitalism. So I, I do want to talk about an alternative, and I don't know if you have an answer answer now, but I'm trying to imagine life without capitalism, right? So I get I grew up poor, mother on welfare, grew up in the projects. Um, sometimes I'm broke, sometimes I have money in my pocket. I see that there are people that are richer than me, but also understand that I also have a job. Um, I can make things, you know, from an entrepreneur perspective and get that income. So a part of me, as much as I recognize the class system and what that do to certain oppressed people, I also realize that, hey, I can create anything and sell it on the street, right? So, so how can we imagine a world without capitalism? What would be the alternative? So in one sense, the, you know, the one sort of simple thing to say, the alternative is a classless society, right? Um, and so it's a society where everyone participates in in this sort of setting the, the direction. Everyone has a role in um, making decisions about the world, right? Um, where um, people are able to exert more influence over their own lives. Okay. Um, and I guess I'm, I mean, I'm thinking is the question, what would we do if we couldn't sell? I mean, so, I mean, so I guess one thing to say is that there's a kind of fear, I guess, that, uh, that by socialism or by communism, Marx is describing a limitation on freedom or a limitation on uh, the expression of individuality. And I think that that fear, I mean, you, to put it sharply, it just yeah. sort of doesn't survive a, uh, you know, a, even a cursory sort of reading um, of Marx, right? It just doesn't. Um, Marx talks often about individuality and about the development of of individuals, and uh, and is very concerned about promoting uh, freedom. About, I mean, one way of um, thinking about Marx's project is 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 seeking to promote an expansion of human activity and expansion of ways of intervening into our 
uh, natural world into our social world. Um, and so, yeah, like the idea of like I can create anything I want. Well, good. I don't know. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that as something that would be lost. You know, this brings me to an interesting point. Uh, so, you know, in, in liberal political philosophy, we're accustomed to thinking of other people as uh, limitations on our freedom, yeah. right? Um, so I have this sphere within which uh, I can act. No one can tell me what to do because I'm a private citizen. And here's my, pri- here's my private property, right, yeah. to prove yeah. it. I can do whatever I want with it. Um, and uh, and, the, and the, the only limitation on that is, you know, that bozo over there with his sphere that he, you know. Um, and so we sort of see one another as, um, as limitations on our ability to, um, to act outside of ourselves or to act on the world. And, and, and Marx rejects this picture, right, of what it is, of what freedom is, um, and uh, he proposes instead that we think of others as the ground of our freedom, right, that um, people around us are, they are what makes our freedom more possible and allows us to develop greater uh, freedom and and we can see that if we think about the fact that uh, many of the things that we do depend on a a huge amount of social labor right um, so whatever it is that you make and sell on the street requires a street yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know like and um, and all sorts of things right so um, so we think about those things in a very private individual way well you know don't get in my way but um, we forget that actually it is um, it is through our interconnection with one another and that we have this these this freedom uh, right to explore and to develop ourselves um it's not it's not sort of in sight of it and so i think that is what that's just an important piece of thinking about what socialism is um for for marx right it's it's this idea that we uh we don't lose freedom somehow we actually gain it by interacting with one another in a way that is uh, i guess more fully honors the fact that we require one another (laughs) in order to develop as individuals that requires that we uh, live in a society where we all have the ability to exert this type of influence. I mean, the contrast is our current society um, where most people are, you know, take the United States, where I would submit uh, that most of us are highly excluded from the important decision-making about our lives. So whether it is... um, decision making about uh who will who will receive economic relief and who won't right apparently the banks will get it you know (laughs) the banks will get it and uh you know hurricane victims not so much right whether it is decisions about uh where our socially produced resources go uh whether they'll go to funding wars abroad uh, that destroy um, or whether it will go to meeting people's needs here. Um, Here in Pennsylvania, we have a case where um, we have at the very same time in this past year, uh, huge cuts to public spending on education. And at the very same time, 
the construction of a new state prison at a cost, you know, roughly equivalent to what was cut out of the school budgets, yeah. right? So, um, so we live in this in this society where the focus on, well, yeah, I don't have this decision making at a social level, um, but you know, I'm here watching, you know, in my house, and no one can bother me in my private sphere. So that means I'm free. <laughs> um, that is uh, an illusion. You know, I just, I, I offer that by way of, uh, I guess, adding some more kind of concrete uh, detail to why thinking about how, thinking about ways in which we can transform our society so that people do have the ability to exert influence in the uh the fields that really matter to all of us um, would obviously create more freedom, I think, rather than less. So say, say for instance, I, I started an organization, right? Uh, I guess a freedom fighting organization, a social justice organization for whatever the issue may be, whether that's uh, gay and lesbian rights, trans rights, Black Lives Matter. Name at least two things that you think is vital that will help me in my struggle that I can learn from Marx. Oh, that is interesting. I think I think one thing that would be really important is to think about the ways in which fighting for liberation is not a zero-sum game. Thinking about the ways in which the the struggle of various peoples of color, of uh, people of various... Uh, gender identities um, of, of thinking about how all of the all of these things um, depend upon and require one another and I would hope it'd be some kind of Marxist organization <laughs> <laughs> that would be great but but even if it's not right um, you know the thought that these things are connected and that they are um, connected um, I would argue uh, by um, by the fact that these are all questions of 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 whether people will be able to um, have meaningful uh, control and influence over the the way that their own lives go or the parts of themselves that they're able to develop or express, and so and that that means a kind of critique of um, of the class relations of the society that we're in. So so you know one was just be sort of like thinking about how and looking at economics gives uh, sort of points us towards thinking about the interconnectedness of various uh, struggles against oppression. I think the second one, um, and lots of people think this, you don't have to be a Marxist to think this, okay. um, but the second one would be to understand the importance of history, um, of knowing the history of people's struggles around the world, of drawing lessons from them, of, um, I mean, so there's... Um, I think sometimes we, um, and, well, we think that what we're going through is new. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, there's this tendency to always think that um, what we're, what the struggles we're dealing with are new, and and, and therefore we just need new ideas. Um, and I guess I would encourage everyone to look at some of the old ideas. You know, like sometimes. Marxism or older I don't know sometimes Marxism there's a kind of um there's a kind of been there done that attitude mm -hmm. sometimes uh towards Marxism and um uh I don't know I mean I guess it's wrong and I think that it also 
um, just really uh, underestimates the continuity between uh, the struggle um, for, let's say, black liberation now and 100 years ago, right? Between, uh, you know, workers' struggles today and um, and struggles at the beginning of the 20th century, right? And so I think that, yeah, just the importance of history of, and I mean, of really digging in and finding out what did people think about their conditions? What organizations did they build? And uh, what was successful and what wasn't? And that's hopefully something that you know anyone anyone can take on. And but I think we forget it often, too often. You have a brother who is also a philosopher, and I just recently put two and two together when we was at the Central APA, which I should have figured that out all along. (laughs) What is is the most memorable thing that you've heard a person say in response to what you both do for a living? (laughs) Um, My parents may kill me, but the most memorable thing is probably what my mother said um, when my brother decided to major in philosophy, which is uh, which was directed. The com was directed towards me, and it was something along the lines of like, "Look what you've done," because <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you're older, right? And he's younger. I'm I'm years <laughs> older, yeah. And he came. I mean, he came to philosophy for his own reasons, and he he does work that's um that's pretty different um from from what I do. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's right. I'm two years older. Okay. So you, you grew up in, in Philadelphia, so I must ask you, cheesesteak or a hoagie? Cheesesteak with a caveat. <laughs> with a caveat. Um, there are, um, I hate to I feel like I'm disloyal or something, but uh, but it has to be said that there are, it's possible to get like really not great cheesesteaks in Philly. And especially uh, often the the most famous places, I won't name any names, the most famous places <laughs> tend to sort of have cheesesteaks that I wouldn't be very interested in. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but the best cheesesteaks just hold up against any sandwich in the world. Um, shout out to D'Alessandro's in Roxborough. Uh, you can get a really sublime cheesesteak, and it's a thing of beauty. Nice. So speaking of Philadelphia, <laughs> right, Philadelphia is, is kind of known probably in the late 90s, early 2000s uh, about the neo-soul movement. So I'm going to I'm going to ask you if you could only listen to music of one artist for 30 days, what Philadelphia artist would it be? So here's your options. Jill Scott, The Roots, Music Soul Child or Bilal. So this is a tough one. I think it would be The Roots. Oh, didn't yeah. expect that. Why? Yeah. Well, I I feel like there. So it's so I can only listen to the one artist for thirty days. Yep, and that really influenced it because I thought. Um, well, my first instinct was to say none of the above, Patty Labelle. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but uh, the Roots have enough kind of like variation. I feel okay. in their sound that I could listen for 30 days and maybe like fool myself into thinking <laughs> that like I'm not just listening to the same band for 30 days. Okay. So that was that was why. <laughs> okay, last question. So music in general, either that's soul music or, or hip hop music, what do you think, just think about a particular song, what song embodies an important idea of Marx for you? This was a tough one too. I decided on Give the People What They Want hmm. by the OJs. Okay. And the reason why, uh, first of all, it has a kind of internationalist 
flavor, right? There's these lines about, I've been all over the world and everybody feels the same. It's unanimous. So there's this idea of a kind of um, finding this common um, struggle, right, that, that connects people from all over the globe. So I, I thought, okay, well, that's internationalist. You know, that has a kind of uh, a feel that expresses something important to Marxism. Um, and then I think just the list of things that the people want. They want truth, freedom, justice, equality, uh, housing, food, education, right, um, freedom. So uh, that's, yeah, that's, and the sort of demand that's in it. So that's what I settled with, yeah. Nice. Thank you, Vanessa, for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Thank you for having for more access to the Unmute Podcast, subscribe on iTunes or head over to the website at www.unmutepodcast.co. There you can get more information about our guests, participate in giveaways, as well as learn more about people, books, and concepts mentioned in today's episode. Until next time, remember that your silence will not protect you. Listen, think, speak. The world will be different as a result. <laughs>